first we will start off with a, a 40 minute uh, lecture by Professor Meenakshi Jain, uh, which will be followed by uh, a lecture by Sri P.S. Narasim Hagaru, uh, which will be followed by uh, a presentation and a lecture by uh, Sri Ashok Chauglegaru. After that, uh, we will have a, a panel discussion and a Q&A session, which would be moderated uh, and led by Sri Vikas uh, uh, Saraswat. Um, uh, we request uh, all the uh, participants, attendees to uh, type your questions in the Q&A module. Uh, you can uh, find it at the bottom of the uh, Zoom screen. Uh, so you type your questions there and not in the chat window. Uh, Sri Vikas uh, will uh, collate uh, these questions and those questions which are not answered in the individual presentations uh, would then be uh, you know, asked and uh, we can then have a discussion on those uh, questions. Uh, before uh, uh, Meenakshi ji begins, uh, uh, you know, I, I will give a brief introduction to each speakers before the sessions, before their own sessions. Uh, but before uh, uh, Srimati Meenakshi ji begins, I request Vikas ji uh, uh, to say a few words uh, and then we will get started with uh, Srimati Meenakshi ji. Uh, Vikas ji. धन्यवाद श्रीनिवास जी त्रिशा और ईशा को भी बहुत-बहुत धन्यवाद उस बहुत सुंदर प्रेजेंटेशन के लिए भजन के लिए इस वेबिनार में भाग ले रहे सभी प्रतिभागियों का मैं इंडिक एकेडमी की तरफ से स्वागत करता हूं मित्रों आने वाले तीन दिन हम लोगों के लिए कितने महत्वपूर्ण हैं ये इस बात से पता चलता है कि जहां पूरा विश्व कोरोना महामारी के कारण एक त्रास में है जहां आर्थिक मंदी आई हुई है सामाजिक आचार व्यवहार रुका हुआ है घोर निराशा का वातावरण है वहां हिंदुस्तान में पूरे भारतवर्ष में उत्सव का एक माहौल है लोग सब कुछ भूलकर सिर्फ अयोध्या जी की तरफ नजरें गड़ाए हुए बैठे हुए हैं 5 अगस्त का दिन हम लोगों के लिए वो दिन है जिसको देखने के लिए हमारे कई बुजुर्ग हमारी कई पीढ़ियां आंखें पथराए पथराए स्वर्गारोहण कर गए वो बेचारे देख नहीं पाए हम लोग बहुत सौभाग्यशाली हैं जो आज इस दिन को हम देख पा रहे हैं ये दिन एक बहुत लंबी लड़ाई के बाद हमको देखने को मिल, मिलेगा और राम जन्मभूमि आंदोलन मंदिर के लिए संघर्ष हिंदू समाज और भारतीय सभ्यता दोनों के इतिहास में एक स्वर्णिम अध्याय है हम यहां पर किस प्रकार पहुंचे क्या-क्या चुनौतियों का हमने सामना किया किस-किस प्रकार की हमारे सामने बाधाएं आई उसके ऊपर बोलने के लिए आज हमारे पास तीन शानदार वक्ता हैं जिनका परिचय श्रीनिवास जी वार्ता के मध्य में कराते रहेंगे श्रीमती मीनाक्षी जैन ये तीनों ही वैसे तो तीनों ही वक्ता किसी भी परिचय के मोहताज नहीं है और अपनी-अपनी विषय अपनी विशेषज्ञता के साथ तीनों ने ही इस आंदोलन को धार दी है श्रीमती मीनाक्षी जैन दिल्ली यूनिवर्सिटी की प्रोफेसर हैं उनका बॉडी ऑफ वर्क जैसे हरि जी बता रहे थे बहुत बड़ा है अयोध्या के ऊपर उनकी दो किताबें बैटल फॉर राम और राम एंड अयोध्या हम ज्यादातर हम लोगों ने पढ़ी हुई है पी नरसिम्हा जी उन्होंने भूतपूर्व एडिशनल सॉलिसिटर जनरल उन्होंने अदालतों में इस लड़ाई को लड़ा है और श्री अशोक चौगले जी कार्यकारी अध्यक्ष आज के समय में विश्व हिंदू परिषद के उन्होंने सड़कों पर इन लड़ाइयों को लड़ा है 
तो आइए हम सब वक्ताओं को सुनने के लिए बड़ी बेसब्री से बैठे हुए हैं तो हम शुरुआत करते हैं मीनाक्षी मैडम प्लीज शुरुआत करिए यू कैन स्टार्ट मीनाक्षी मैम आई लाइक टू आई रिक्वेस्ट ऑल दी अदर पैनलिस्ट टू स्विच ऑफ देर वीडियोज मीनाक्षी जी प्लीज कीप योर वीडियो ऑन I'd like to quickly read a, a short uh, uh, introduction of Meenakshi ji. Uh, Professor Meenakshi Jain uh, teaches history at Gargi College in De- of uh, Delhi uh, University. She is a member of Indian Council of Historical Research since 2014 and she was conferred the Padma Shri award uh, by the government of India for her exemplary contributions in the field of literature and education. Professor Meenakshi Jain is the author of 10 important books of which the books Rama and Ayodhya published in 2013 and The Battle for Rama The Case of the Temple at Ayodhya published in 2017 have made a major contribution to history of Rama worship in India history of Ayodhya and Rama Janmabhoomi her work on the uh, Ilahabad the uh, judgment document and in countering the lies of uh, marxist historians is very well known her book flight of deities and rebirth of temples episodes from indian history published in 2019 contributed to the understanding of relationship between hindus and their deities and what they have undergone to protect them her other important books include sati evangelicals baptist missionaries and changing colonial discourse published in 2016 the india they saw uh, this is co-edited with sandhya jain published in four volumes uh, and similarly the book parallel pathways essays on hindu muslim relationships 1707 to 1857 published in 2010 in fact uh, harkiran ji was uh, uh, talking about the importance of her book uh, the flight of the deities i remember uh, an event which was organized by indic academy in new delhi uh, to discuss uh, uh, the, the the matters related to the ayodhya case even before the verdict you know was uh, uh, delivered and uh, professor meenakshi jain's book was not yet uh, i think published at that time and uh, she was talking to a small group of people from indic academy uh, uh, you know uh, short notes from her research it was a day long event Uh, and some of the video clips are also present on youtube but i vividly remember and the emotion you know uh, from having listened to her and uh, having uh, you know shed tears along with all the other participants you know while meenakshi ji spoke in her very unassuming simple and in you know, a humble fashion the tremendous amount of research that she has done in being able to unearth the actual emotions you know of the people the common people and their relationship with the deities i still cherish those memories um, and uh, the the energy and the determination that we have gained uh, from that uh, event is still there with all of us who were there meenakshi ji thank you very much for the experience and we request you to uh, start your uh, lecture today thank you the most appropriate um, yes Shall I start? Please. The most appropriate greeting today will be Jai Shri Ram. I could never, in my wildest dreams, imagine that I would be sharing a webinar on Ayodhya 
three days before the Bhumi, Bhumi Poojan of a grand temple. It is absolutely a landmark moment in the civilizational journey of India. Maryada Purushottam Ram Bhagwan is going to be ending his centuries long exile and reoccupy the space that is divinely his. Now, at this moment, we should remember the millions of our forefathers who struggled so hard to keep hold of that precious bhumi and the kind of determination, suffering that they went through. We should also remember the sense of satisfaction that justice has finally been done. And this sense of satisfaction that justice has been done has been shared by a section of the Muslim population. So at this moment, which is a landmark moment in India's civilizational journey, what are the lessons that Ayodhya has taught us? The first is the importance of perseverance. The believers in Ram, in Lord Ram, never gave up the struggle. And the second is the importance of marshalling and documenting facts. The Mandir party won the case in the Allahabad High Court on two grounds. First, was a voluminous amount of evidence which pointed only in one direction. And that one direction was that there was a temple there. The second was the faith of millions of people. The Allahabad High Court said, we are giving the land under the central dome to the Mandir party because millions believe it is the birthplace of Ram. They said, it is not the work of courts to subject the faith of millions to scientific or judicial scrutiny. So these two facts, the overwhelming amount of evidence and the faith of millions is what finally ensured that the Hindus got justice. Now, the documents or the evidence in favor of the Hindus is so overwhelming but it is surprising that most Hindus are not aware of this. So I thought I will share this evidence and place it before you so that you are aware of how silently, patiently, the Hindus waited for this day for justice when all the evidence was in their favor. I would like to begin by mentioning certain works that were written in Persian in the medieval period. And the first of these works that I would like to mention is by Abul Fazl. Abul Fazl, you all know, was the court historian of the Mughal emperor Akbar. Abul Fazl wrote in his Akbar Nama that Ayodhya is sacred ground. On the ninth of the light month of Chaitra, a religious festival is held there. And Ayodhya has been sacred territory from ancient times. That is the first acknowledgement that we get from a Persian source. The second 
evidence that we get is even more interesting. It dates the year 1723. You see the Mughal Emperor Akbar in 1600 had donated six bigas of land to Hanuman Tila. That grant had to be renewed by a subsequent Mughal emperor. It was renewed in 1723. Now the scribe, the writer who wrote down that imperial order, renewing the six bigas of land, he writes that I am from the Maulud or birthplace of Sri Ramchandra. This he is writing in a Mughal imperial order dated 1723. He's acknowledging that. Then in 1822, we have another interesting case. There is a person called Hafizullah. He was an employee in the Fezabad district court. And he made a statement in 1822 that Babri Masjid is built on the site of a Ram temple Ram was the son of Raja Dashrath and the masjid is and the temple was next to Sita Ki Rasoi. So he is mentioning the Ram temple, he is mentioning Sita Ki Rasoi, Hafizullah, 1822. Then another very interesting document that we have is dated 30th November, 1858. This is a report that is filed by the superintendent of the masjid. He files a report in the Faizabad district court. And in this report, I will discuss this report later, but what is relevant right now is that in this report, he describes himself as the superintendent of Masjid al-Janamstan. And in 1870, there is another report which refers to this site as Babri Masjid Vakya Janamsthan. Now, I don't know of any masjid anywhere in the world which will have Janamsthan added to its name. That itself was acknowledgement that the masjid had been built on the site of the Janamsthan. Because the superintendent of the masjid is saying that I am the superintendent of Masjid Air. Then in the 18th and 19th century, many histories were written in Arabic, Persian and Urdu on Ayodhya. And without exception, all these histories said that Babri Masjid was built on the site of a Ram temple. There was no book which made a contrary claim. And I'd just like to mention one of these books because there are so many. It is the Tariq-e-Abdi. Now this Tariq-e-Abdi was completed in 1869. But the author was a person who was eyewitness to several events that took place in the time of the last Nawab of Awadh. And he says that the Hindus are worshipping at Babri Masjid. And he says the government officials are not doing anything. They're keeping quiet because they're accepting bribes. So that is another very interesting bit of evidence that we had. So I have mentioned uh, five Persian accounts 
of the medieval period, which are unambiguously stating that the masjid stood on the site of a Janamsthan temple. Then we have two eyewitness accounts. These were two Europeans who came to India in the course of their work. And they traveled over India and they wrote what they saw in the places they visited. They did not realize that their eyewitness accounts would be so valuable in deciding the case for the temple. The first was an account by William Finch. He came in 1608 and he traveled to various parts of India and he wrote on Ayodhya. He said that, you know, he refers to that structure as Ram Court, Ram's castle. And he says, you know, pilgrims come, they take a dip in the Saryu River and there are Brahmins in the castle and they note down the names of these pilgrims. William Finch does not mention Muslim presence or Namaz. The second important traveler is Joseph Tiffenthaler. Joseph Tiffenthaler was actually a Jesuit priest and he lived in India for 40 long years. And he wrote a lot on India on you know, the progress in science, astronomy, the geography of India. And many of his papers, they were so of such high caliber that they were presented in the Berlin Academy of Sciences and the French Academy of Sciences. Now, William Tiffenthaler stayed for seven years in the Avadh region. And he went to Ayutthaya. And he said that, you know, the Hindus have created a Bedi. What is a Bedi? A Bedi is a Vedi or a cradle for a newborn. And he says that on Ram Nomi, so many of them come and they do parikrama around the place. Now, William Joseph Tiffenthaler is the second person who's actually been present at that site. And he does not mention namaz or Muslim presence. Now, this raises a very fundamental question. Are we to believe that Babur came and smashed and occupied that space? I raise this question because there, are, there is another important mosque that Babur built in India. He built that mosque at Sambhal. It was built on the, uh, after the demolition of a Vishnu temple. The parts of the Vishnu temple that were used in the construction of that masjid can still be seen because the masjid still stands. And there's an inscription in the masjid which says that this was constructed by Mir Hindu Beg on the orders of Babar. Now, why? is Sambhal so important to us? Sambhal is important and that site was important because according to Hindu belief, the last avatar of Vishnu, that is the Kalki avatar, will be born in Sambhal. So it is two important sacred sites, Ayodhya and Sambhal, that Babur demolished the temple standing there and constructed masjid 
the masjid in Sambal is still standing. Now, I just want to make one more point uh, that all the evidence that I'm citing, any one of you can access it. It is, you don't have to take my word for it. You can verify it because all of the material is now easily available. So I mentioned Persian acknowledgement in the medieval period. I mentioned two European eyewitness accounts. And then we have the meaning of colonial rule. So every British official report, every gazetteer was unanimous that Babri Masjid was built on the site of the Janamsthan temple. And since there are so many of these reports, I don't want to get into all of that, but I would like to draw your attention to a very important report written by Patrick Carnegie. Patrick Carnegie was the first uh, commissioner and settlement officer of the Faisabad district. And in his report, again, this report is easily accessible. In this report, he says that at the time of the Mohammedan conquest, there were three important temples in Ayodhya. The first, he says, is the Janamsthan temple. The second is the Sargdwar temple. And the third is the Tritaka Thakur temple. And he says the Janamsthan temple was the site of Ram's birthplace. The Sargdwar temple was the place from where Lord Ram ascended to heaven. And the Tretaka Thakur temple was the site of an important sacrifice that Lord Ram did. Then he also says that till 1858, the entire masjid was accessible to Hindus. Entire masjid means the structure and the compound outside. He says, but in 1858, when there was a lot of tension between the two communities, we erected a railing and so that the Hindus had to be content in the outer structure and we allowed the Muslims to uh, offer namaz inside. So he is admitting that till 1858, the Mandir party had full access to the entire premises, the structure and the compound within the boundary wall. So these are uh, some important points that he makes. Then I would like to refer to a German Indologist, Anton Fruher. He was for some time also the provisional curator of the Lucknow Museum. And he was the archeological surveyor of the Northwestern provinces. He went to Ayodhya as part of his official duties. He examined the masjid. And he said that it is built on the site of the temple. And there are 14 pillars of the temple which have been used in the construction of the masjid. And he says the bigotry of the builders, they erased and defaced the figures that were at the bottom of the pillars. But the pillars are definitely from the temple. And he says two pillars of the temple were used and 
placed in front of the grave of Musa Ashi Khan, who's supposed to have given Babur the idea of demolishing the temple. So all these accounts are unanimous that the masjid is built on the site of a temple. And the latest and the most uh, important work before the controversy assumed its present form was published in 1986 by a well-known scholar, Hans Becker. And Hans Becker was also very clear that the masjid had been built on the site of the temple. And he's also added something very significant. He said that, you know, uh, the destruction of the temple should not be taken to mean that pilgrimage to that site stopped. Because the Hindus have that tremendous capacity and faith that they cling to a site under adverse circumstances. So all the evidence that I've quoted till 1986, as I'm again repeating, you can verify, and it's all for arguing the same point. Then there is a twist in the tale. And the twist is the entry of a group of committed historians whom we call left historians. So in 1989, when the controversy in its present form begins to take serious shape, the left intervention can be dated from 1989. Now in 1989, a pamphlet is brought out by the left historians. It is called The Political Abuse of History, an analysis of the Babri Masjid, Ram Janamdhumi is an analysis by 25 historians. Now this uh, pamphlet, it uh, gave a new direction because for the first time, it argues against the overwhelming evidence for a masjid being built on the site of the temple. For the first time, this group of leading left historians, they say that it is not true. Babri Masjid was built on vacant land and Ayodhya was famous as a Buddhist or Jain site. So there's a total counter narrative that is presented in 1989. And after that, the left assault on this respected venerable old tradition doesn't stop. And the latest was soon after the Allahabad High Court gave its judgment, in which, uh, after which they produced another pamphlet, Aligarh Historians Forum. And if you read that pamphlet, you will be totally amazed at the level of untruth and deceit and lies that a group of historians could go to. Historians are supposed to uncover the truth, not to re, not to invent the truth. And uh, I would also like to mention here an archaeologist, K.K. Muhammad, 
Hikam Muhammad uh, published his autobiography very recently. And in that autobiography, he says that when the controversy broke out, there was a section of the Muslim community which felt we should hand over the site to the Mandir party because they said, you know, the site has no meaning for us, but it means so much to them. He said at that time, the group of left historians said, don't even contemplate this. We will provide you evidence. And your case is so strong that you don't worry about it. So the left uh, contribution uh, to mudding the waters is something that we will discuss a little later. Now, the left has also tried to underplay or to say that there was no Islamic iconoclasm practiced in India. I, I will see if I have time to get into that, but I just want to say that the Ramayan was so deeply embedded in the psyche of all Indians that when the invasions began, two ruling Gurjar, Pratiha, Gurjar houses, they were two ruling Gujar houses, they were in the forefront of stopping the invasions. And what did they call this? And what did they say? They claimed descent from Lakshman, the brother of Ram, because Lakshman was given the job of acting as the doorkeeper, Pratihar, when Kal came to remind Lakshman that your time is over, Ram told Lakshman, I have an important visitor. Nobody should be allowed to enter this room. So Lakshman acted as the Pratihar doorkeeper. And these two Gujar ruling houses that were in the forefront of meeting the Turkish attack, they said we are descendants of Ram and they added Pratihara to their dynasty name. So we know them now as Gujar Pratiharas. Now, that was one response of a ruling house. There was Malhar Rao Holkar. Malhar Rao Holkar in 1751 actually seriously contemplated pulling down the Gyan Vapi Mosque and rebuilding the Kashi Vishwanath Temple. That's on record. All this material that I'm placing before you is something that is part of official proceedings, or you can find it in the history records. So that is Malhar Rao Holkar in 1751. And in 1759, Peshwa Balaji Bajirao, he tells his agents, please negotiate with the Nawab of Awadh for the return of Kashi, Ayodhya, and Prayag. And he offers a huge sum of money to the Awadh Nawab if he surrenders three, three sites to the Hindus. Peshwa Madhav Rao, he died very young and he left behind a will 
that will dates the year 1772 and he says that it is i ask my successors to please press on the claim for these sites and not to give up the struggle for these sites and finally i would like to mention mirza raja jaising he was a very very formidable hindu ruler and he established fortified townships which are called jaisingpuras in important hindu holy cities and the kapat dwar collection in the sawai madhupur uh, museum in jaipur has a series of uh, documents which are very relevant to the ayodhya dispute these documents show that in 1717 jaising purchased the land of the temple of the mandir masjid and the uh, the lord that is uh, lord ram remained the owner and the land was purchased on behalf of lord ram in 1717 this set of documents are there in the sawai mansing universe uh, museum and they are also part of the proceedings that were conducted in court now there is uh, we are very fortunate that in the case of ayodhya the detailed record of litigation by the two parties from 1858 onwards is available to us you see from uh, in 1857 there was the great revolt and british rule in ayodhya in avadh uh, began actually in 1858 so from 1858 till the time of independence the claims and the counter claims they were filed in the fezabad district court and by some grace of lord ram i think that these documents have survived for over century and they have not been damaged they have not been eaten by termites because no special care was taken to protect them they have just survived and uh, so i just want there it's a very very uh, long story so i'll just take up two three of these Uh, cases that were filed in the fezabad district court the first case is filed on 28th november 1858 by the thanedar of avadh and the thanedar of avadh says that you know 25 nehang sikhs have entered the masjid and they've started havan and puja two days later the superintendent of babri masjid himself files a complaint in the fezabad district court and he says that you know havan and puja has started they set up a chin of bhagwan and with charcoal they have written ram ram all over the walls of the masjid now there is a detailed correspondence between the court and the uh, thanedar the court says get them evicted the thanedar is saying they are not getting evicted finally after a lot of persuasion he is able to get the premises 
evicted. So that is the first record that we have of 1858. I just want to stop here for a minute and just point out to you that Babri Masjid was built in 1528. From 1528 till 1858, that is for over three centuries, we do not have any proof of Muslim presence at that site. This is a very, very important point which goes against the Masjid party. You're not able to prove that you were there for over 300 years, whereas we have so many accounts that I've already mentioned to you of um, Hindu presence over there. So again, uh, it reinforces the point that Babur came, smashed, went. Perhaps there was not enough of a local Muslim population to you know, make use of that mosque. And at some time before 1858, they seemed to have come into the masjid because before 1858, the Babri side was not able to produce one bit of evidence in any court to say that we were here at this site from 1528 onwards. The first time that they are able to prove that they were present over there is in 1858. Uh, I said I'll mention one or two uh, more cases. So I'd like to mention a very interesting case that is filed in 1882, again by the superintendent of Bapi Masjid. And this is a very, very interesting case. He files a case in the Fezabad District Court. And he says that, you know, since ancient times, at the time of Karthik Mela and Ram Nomi, you know, uh, we used to allow huge shops to come up in the complex. And on normal days, there were small shops selling flowers, prashad, in any case. So he says that, you know, up till now, our agreement was that whatever money is made from the sale of prashad, flowers, whatever, it, the man's will divide it 50-50 between them and us. And they say in 1882, the Mahans have unilaterally, without consulting us, reduced our share from 50 to 30%. So uh, when the Allahabad High Court uh, was presented this case, it observed that the, Mahan, the superintendent is saying that at time of Karthik Mela and Ram Nomi, huge shops are set up. So that means that uh, the entire premises was in effect uh, occupied by the worshippers of Ram. So this itself was a very, very interesting case. Another case that is recorded is in 1885. It's a very painful case. It is by the Mahant of Chabutra Ram Ganamsthan. His name is Raghbar Das. And Raghbar Das, he files an appeal and he says, you know, me and my fellow Mehans, we are in control of this Chabutra. It measures uh, 21 feet by 17 feet. And he says that, you know, it's an open Chabutra and we have tremendous hardship uh, when it rains, when it's very cold, 
and when it's very hot. So in all this inclement weather, we're just sitting under the weather. We have no covering, nothing to protect us from this weather. And this Jabutra is ours. Can we please be permitted to make a small temple on this? Three levels of the British judicial system hear the case. Every level says that he has a very strong case. Chabutra is in his control. And it is very true that in times of rain, sun, cold, they sit there. But they say that it is not possible for us to undo the injury that has been done to you. This is what is there. We cannot do the injury done to you because of the very sensitive nature of that complex. So imagine today when we have got back that entire site, recall these priests, Mahans, who sat for God knows how many decades or centuries on a chabutra, come rain, thunder, sunshine, winter. I mean, this kind of devotion, commitment to the Lord is something that is, it can only be admired. And I mean, I don't know what else we can say. It is so painful that they have no support and they are still determined that they will not leave that site. So that is the second, the third point that I wanted to make. And the fourth is also very important. In 1885, the Amin Commission submitted its report. And its report is very interesting. It talks about the presence of Hindu structures inside Babri Masjid, inside the complex of Babri Masjid, like Ram Chabutra, etc. But it also notes that immediately outside the boundary wall of Babri Masjid, just adjacent to it, but outside it, on all four sides, there is a deep depression which has been made by the walking of millions of pilgrims over the centuries. So this is the Parikrima, which means that the entire complex was sacred land. The central dome was sacred, but the entire complex was sacred because the parikrima was including the entire complex. Now, in 1912, there were riots in Ayodhya, and there were riots again in 1934. In the riots in 1934, severe you know, people uh, jumped on top of the domes and uh, severe damage was inflicted on two domes. After that, the Masjid party's control over that structure and that area becomes very difficult to substantiate. In fact, we have very uh, many uh, accounts, reports given by Muslim parties which talk about their lessening hold on that area. And the first is a report which is dated 1943. It is again by a superintendent of 
Babri Masjid. When I talk about superintendent of Babri Masjid, obviously the name of the superintendent changes every time because the office is the same, but the person who's occupying it changes. So uh, just keep that in mind. I don't want to give a different name for each uh, time the superintendent changes. So in 1943, the superintendent of Babri Masjid, he says that now our situation in that area has become so difficult that only Friday prayers are being offered. After that, we have two reports which are filed by the inspector of Waqf. The inspector of Waqf files two reports in 1948. And in the first report, he talks about the very difficult situation. And the second report says, that the masjid is always locked and only the police have the key. And on Fridays, just a little before, okay, five minutes more. Can I take 10 minutes? I'll wind up. I'll take 10 minutes and wind up. Please go ahead, ma'am. Please go oh, ahead. Sorry, I didn't try. I lost track of time. No, no, please go ahead. You're okay, uh, I'll try. So uh, he says that on uh, the keys of the masjid are kept with the police on Friday before the mosque. They open it for a little while so that it's cleaned. One namaz is offered and then we leave. He says that, you know, the whole place has been occupied by uh, priests uh, and believers and we are scared to go there. Now, I just, uh, because of want of time, I'll just quickly uh, go through some other evidence. Just give me 10 minutes. I'll finish in 10 minutes. Okay, so now the revenue records. The revenue records that the British, you know, they were very particular about collecting revenue. So whenever they occupied a territory, they did a survey of how much revenue is owed to them by the people. So for Ayodhya, we have the first settlement, which was done in 1861. The settlement of 1861 was made public and was never challenged by anyone. That settlement shows that the land is Nazul or government land and the Mehens are the underproprietors. The revenue records of 1861 do not mention Babri Masjid at all. Now, the interesting thing is that sometime after independence, we see that these revenue records have been tampered with. So wherever Janamsthan is written, somebody has added over there and Babri Masjid. Now, how do we know that this has been added? Because the handwriting is different, the color of the nib is different, and the ink is different. So this is the extent to which a group of people, I don't know who has done it, nobody knows who has done it, but the records were tampered with as far as the revenue records are concerned. Now, to quickly hurry up, in 1944, 1944, the UP government published a list of Shia and Sunni properties in United Provinces, along with the waqf that was maintained for their upkeep. In the case of Babri Masjid, there was no waqf that was created. Now the Allahabad High Court said, please explain to us why there is no waqf, because when you have a masjid, you have to have a waqf which will maintain that masjid. And the masjid party could not explain why there was no waqf. And the court said, this is a fatal flaw in your argument. Then. Uh, just uh, two, three points. In 1949, after independence, uh, the Hindu public 
made an appeal to the UP government that we want to create a Vishal temple for Lord Ram. This is in 1949. And a few months later, the image of Lord Ram appears under the central tomb. And it's very important to recall what the deputy commissioner, K.K. Nair, writes. He says that, you know, uh, the commissioner has told me to quietly, by stealth, remove the image of Ram Lalla. And his report is there for you to see. He said, uh, he has written that you cannot understand the depth of the Hindu feeling for this. They all want the image to stay there. You cannot imagine what a law and order situation will occur in that province. And I will never be able to find a priest who will be willing to be party of this, to party to this. Uh, then we have the Ismail Faruqi judgment of 1994. And this judgment says that mosque is not an essential part of the practice of the religion of Islam. Namaz can be offered anywhere, even in open ground. And Hindu worship is centered around sacred sites and sacred scriptures, sacred structures. Uh, demolition takes place in 1992. Uh, there's a very interesting story. I don't have that much time, but I would really love it if you ask me in the question answers about the role of Irfan Habib in trying to mislead the public on the inscription that fell from the walls of the masjid when it was demolished. It's a story that I would like to tell, uh, but I'm not telling it right now. Uh, then at the request or the order of the Allahabad High Court, ASI carried out excavations at that site. The excavations showed continuous occupation of that site from the second millennium BC. That site was always a sacred site. No palace, residential premises was built there. There was a temple which, uh, which it found so many sacred structures over there. There was a temple built in the 10th century. The ASI report says it was short-lived. It does not say why it was short-lived. Then the 12th century temple was built and that was a temple that survived till the 16th century when it was demolished by Babar. Finally, the curtains to this whole story have been pulled down by the Supreme Court in its order of 9th November 2019 when it handed over the entire premises to the Hindus. And on 5th of August, Bhumi Pujan for a Vishal Ram temple will be performed. So let's join the celebrations. Thank you. Thank you very much, uh, Professor Meenakshi Jain. I didn't realize, I, I didn't keep a check on the time. I'm so sorry. No, that's all right. And I know this is, it's uh, cruel on our part to just ask you to summarize you know, your lifetime of work in no, just no, no. 40 minutes. <laughs> no, 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 no. But yeah. uh, I just thought that story has to be told. Okay. Thank, yeah. Thank you very much. I think uh, there are a lot of questions, you know, and we can further explore things which you were unable to uh, broach uh, here yes. during the Q&A session.